Part 9 of A Selection from Strange Stories from a Chinese Studio, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Selection from Strange Stories from a Chinese Studio by Pu Song Ling. Translated by Herbert Allen Giles. Volume 1, Part 9. Magical Arts, read by David Barnes. A certain Mr. Yu was a spirited young fellow, fond of boxing and trials of strength. He was able to take two kettles and swing them round about with the speed of the wind. Now, during the reign of Chung-jung, when up for the final examination at the capital, his servant became seriously ill. Much troubled at this, he applied to a necromancer in the marketplace, who was skilful at determining the various leases of life allotted to men. Before he had uttered a word, the necromancer asked him, saying, "'Is it not about your servant, sir, that you would consult me?' Mr. Yu was startled at this, and replied that it was. "'The sick man,' continued the necromancer, "'will come to no harm,' "'You, sir, are the one in danger.' Mr. Yu then begged him to cast his nativity, which he proceeded to do, finally saying to Mr. Yu, "'You have but three days to live.' Dreadfully frightened, he remained for some time in a state of stupefaction, when the necromancer quietly observed that he possessed the power of averting this calamity by magic, and would exert it, for the sum of ten ounces of silver. But Mr. Yu reflected that life and death are already fixed, and he didn't see how magic could save him. So he refused, and was just going away, whereupon the necromancer said, You grudge this trifling outlay. I hope you will not repent it. Mr. Yu's friends also urged him to pay the money advising him rather to empty his purse than not secure the necromancer's compassion. Mr. Yu, however, would not hear of it, and the three days slipped quickly away. Then he sat down calmly in his inn to see what was going to happen. Nothing did happen all day, and at night he shut his door and trimmed the lamp. Then, with a sword at his side, he awaited the approach of death. By and by, the clepsydra showed that two hours had already gone without bringing him any nearer to dissolution, and he was thinking about lying down when he heard a scratching at the window, and then saw a tiny little man creep through, carrying a spear on his shoulder, who, on reaching the ground, shot up to the ordinary height. Mr. Yu seized his sword and at once struck at it, but only succeeded in cutting the air. His visitor instantly shrank down small again and made an attempt to escape through the crevice of the window, but Yu redoubled his blows and at last brought him to the ground. Lighting the lamp, he found only a paper man cut right through the middle. This made him afraid to sleep, and he sat up watching, until in a little time he saw a horrid hobgoblin creep through the same place. 
no sooner did it touch the ground than he assailed it lustily with his sword, at length cutting it in half. Seeing, however, that both halves kept on wriggling about, and fearing that it might get up again, he went on hacking at it. Every blow told, giving forth a hard sound, and when he came to examine his work, he found a clay image all knocked to pieces. Upon this he moved his seat near to the window, and kept his eye fixed upon the crack. After some time he heard a noise like a bull bellowing outside the window, and something pushed against the window-frame with such force as to make the whole house tremble and seem about to fall. Mr. Yu, fearing he should be buried under the ruins, thought he could not do better than fight outside, so he accordingly burst open the door with a crash and rushed out. There he found a huge devil, as tall as the house, and he saw by the dim light of the moon that its face was as black as coal. Its eyes shot forth yellow fire. It had nothing either upon its shoulders or feet, but held a bow in its hand and had some arrows at its waist. Mr. Yu was terrified, and the devil discharged an arrow at him, which he struck to the ground with his sword. On Mr. Yu preparing to strike, the devil let off another arrow, which the former avoided by jumping aside, the arrow quivering in the wall beyond with a smart crack. The devil here got very angry, and drawing his sword, flourished it like a whirlwind, aiming a tremendous blow at Mr. Yu. Mr. Yu ducked, and the whole force of the blow fell upon the stone wall of the house, cutting it right in two. Mr. Yu then ran out from between the devil's legs and began hacking at its back. Whack! Whack! The devil now became furious and roared like thunder, turning round to get another blow at his assailant. But Mr. Yu again ran between his legs, the devil's sword merely cutting off a piece of his coat. Once more he hacked away, whack, whack, and at length the devil came tumbling down flat. Mr. Yu cut at him right and left, each blow resounding like the watchman's wooden gong, and then, bringing a light, he found it was a wooden image, about as tall as a man. The bow and arrows were still there, the latter attached to its waist. Its carved and painted features were most hideous to behold, and wherever Mr. Yu had struck it with his sword, there was blood. Mr. Yu sat with the light in his hand till morning, when he awaked to the fact that all these devils had been sent by the necromancer in order to kill him, and so evidence his own magical power. The next day, after having told the story far and wide, he went with some others to the place where the necromancer had his stall, but the latter, seeing them coming, vanished in the twinkling of an eye. Someone observed that the blood of a dog would reveal a person who had made himself invisible, and Mr. Yu immediately procured some and went back with it. The necromancer disappeared as before, but on the spot where he had been standing they quickly threw down the dog's blood. Thereupon they saw his head and face all smeared over with blood.' 
his eyes glaring like a devil's, and at once seizing him, they handed him over to the authorities, by whom he was put to death. Footnotes 1. Chung Zheng The last emperor of the Ming dynasty. He began to reign in A.D. 1628. 2. A necromancer in the marketplace. The trade of fortune-teller is one of the most flourishing in China. A large majority of the candidates who are unsuccessful at the public examinations devote their energies in this direction, and in every Chinese city there are regular establishments whither the superstitious people repair to consult the oracle on every imaginable subject, not to mention hosts of itinerant soothsayers, both in town and country, whose stock in trade consists of a trestle table, pen, ink and paper, and a few other mysterious implements of their art. The nature of the response, favourable or otherwise, is determined by an inspection of the year, month, day and hour at which the applicant was born, taken in combination with other particulars referring to the question at issue. 3. Life and death are already fixed. A firm belief in predestination is an important characteristic of the Chinese mind. All is destiny, is a phrase daily in the mouth of every man, woman and child in the empire. Confucius himself, we are told, objected to discourse to his disciples upon this topic, but it is evident from many passages in the Lunyu, or Confucian Gospels, Book 6, Chapter 8, Book 14, Chapter 38, etc., that he believed in a certain prearrangement of human affairs against which all efforts would be unavailing. 4. Clepsydra, an appliance of very ancient date in China, now superseded by cheap clocks and watches. A large clepsydra, consisting of four copper jars standing on steps one above the other, is still, however, to be seen in the city of Canton, and is in excellent working order, the night watches being determined by reference to its indicator in the lower jar. By its aid, coils of jostics, or pastille, are regulated to burn so many hours, and are sold to the poor, who use them both for the purpose of guiding their extremely vague notions of time, and for lighting the oft-recurring tobacco pipe. 5. A paper man. Paper men are a source of great dread to the people at large. During the year 1876, whole provinces were convulsed by the belief that some such superstitious agency was at work to deprive innocent persons of their tales, and the so-called Pope of the Taoist religion even went so far as to publish a charm against the machinations of the unseen. It ran as follows. Ye who urge filthy devils to spy out the people, the master's spirits are at hand and will soon discover you. With this charm, any one may travel by sunlight, moonlight or starlight all over the earth. At one time, popular excitement ran so high that serious consequences were anticipated, and the mandarins in the affected districts found it quite as much as they could do 
to prevent lynch law being carried out on harmless strangers who were unlucky enough to give rise to the slightest suspicion. Taoist priests are generally credited with the power of cutting out human, animal, or other figures, of infusing vitality into them on the spot, and of employing them for the purposes of good or evil. 6. The Watchman's Wooden Gong Watchmen in China, when on their nightly rounds, keep up an incessant beating on what, for want of a better term, we have called a wooden gong. The object is to let thieves know they are awake and on the lookout. End of Magical Arts